Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Friday, May the 27th, 2022. It is currently 8.47 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where I guess, to be honest, inside this room and, well, outside the window behind me, well, I guess, is this the official beginning of summer? It's Memorial Day weekend, and I I never know what that's going to do as far as live broadcast is concerned about how many people may or may not be turning in. But I said earlier today that I'm just going to kind of, I'm just going to see things as business as usual and just broadcast whenever I feel like it. And whoever may be around this Memorial Day weekend, wonderful. And for those who are not, they're off doing other things, family, traveling, whatever. Whenever you get back to these broadcasts, hopefully you find them to be beneficial. But if you are around this Memorial Day weekend and you're listening to any of the things we're doing, always feel free to email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. If you are listening to me via the Spreaker app, feel free to jump into the chat and add comments. If you listen to us on YouTube at a later time, feel free to add comments there as well. And uh, if you are going to be busy and out and about this uh, Memorial Day weekend, let me encourage you to just take a few seconds before you get on the road, before you head out anywhere, go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store and just do a search for Church One, that's Church O-N-E, Download that app. Once the app is downloaded, do a search for Theology Central. And then once you have the app, that, that's basically going to turn it into the Theology Central app. Check your check the notifications inside the app. Make sure they're all on. And then wherever you are this Memorial Day weekend, uh, if, if, you're, or if your phone has a, a connection, you're going to get a notification every time we go live or every time we upload a podcast episode or a sermon, and we're always uploading new content. So definitely do that, and then you can keep up with everything. There you go. And then you you, you may see the notification and go, okay, I can't listen now, but I will listen later. And well, it'll be there, right there on the Church One app as soon as possible for you to listen to on demand. And again, that's absolutely free to you. So no obli- it doesn't cost you anything. You're under no obligation for any financial, you know, requirements. All you do is download the app. It's on your device and you can use it if you so desire. All right. Now, with all of that in mind, I'm going to ask you to think about the following word. Convictions. Convictions. Now, you're probably very familiar with that word. If you are a Christian, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know about these things that we, that we, uh, these, the convictions that we have as Christians. Now, sometimes we'll talk about kind of personal convictions that, that we may say, okay, that's your own personal conviction, but it's not something that's definitively outlined in scripture. So you've probably heard people talk about personal convictions versus what we will call scriptural convictions things that we we have to hold on to and we cannot compromise on like here's here's a personal conviction you can't impose a personal conviction on anyone else and personal conv- and and the church should not try to impose personal convictions on people right but there are scriptural convictions that we have to firmly hold to and we cannot 
compromise on. The definition of the word conviction, obviously there's two. The first one you're probably familiar with, a formal declaration that someone is guilty of a criminal offense made by the verdict of a jury or the decision of a judge and a court of law. Okay, that's not the kind of conviction we are talking about. We're talking about this one. A firmly held belief or opinion. Now, as a Christian, you may have some personal convictions that are strong opinions. You can't try to make, sometimes we have a tendency to try to make those personal convictions well, God's God's word. We try to we try to say that you're we set, try to find our personal convictions and we try to find some scripture to support it, and then we impose it on everyone else and judge and condemn everyone else who don't hold to our our firmly held personal convictions. That's a whole podcast episode in and of itself. But then there's those things that we believe are right here. I'm, I'm I've got Bibles right here next to me. I'm picking them up. A Bible, and we believe that hey, this is what the scripture says. So. I have a firmly held belief that this is the word of God and what it says must be obeyed, all right? That, that, I just want you to see that distinction. Now, the reason I'm even bringing this up is, well, I know you're going to be shocked by this, but just as there is almost no agreement or unity in the body of Christ about personal convictions, which that would make sense, there really isn't any true agreement about what we would call scriptural convictions, things that the Bible says that we cannot compromise on because there's just so much disagreement in the body of Christ on everything. And I want to show you, well, I'll just, I'll just point this out because this is interesting. Here's what happened. I, I, I walked up the stairs and I came here and I, I set everything up for, for broadcasting tonight. And I'm like, okay, we need to continue work, to work on our kind of our mini series on the 30 life principles as taught by Charles Stanley. We could possibly do a little bit more work with Balaam and the talking donkey. I, I think we did pretty good in the last episode. There's always so many other things to work on. But I all of a sudden I saw an article while I was just sitting here thinking about what to do. I saw an article at crosswalk.com and the headline immediately caught my attention. Nine convictions believers must not compromise on. Nine convictions that believers must not compromise on. And if you keep hearing sounds, it's, I'm having the Bible on. Hear that? Yeah. Okay. Sometimes I'll realize, wait a minute, the microphone, I'm looking at the voice meter and I'm like, the, the microphone's picking that up. And I'm like, okay, I probably should stop that. They won't know what that is. Okay. So, but back to the article, sorry, distracted myself. Nine convictions believers must not compromise on. Now, when you see something like that, you know that's that's just, I mean, that's just like candy in a candy store for a podcaster, right? It's like, oh, here you go. Here's an episode. Here, you could turn this into a series, right? I mean, it's right there. So I was like, oh, let me look. Well, I wonder what these nine convictions that believers must not compromise on. I wonder what they are. And I looked at the first one and I was like, amen. Okay. In fact, I think that one needs to be probably explained in a better way, but I agree with the first one. And then they came to the second one and I was like, oh, here we go again. Here we go again. And clearly I don't agree with their second one, which means according to them, 
Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm not even a believer. And a lot of people would probably try to question my salvation because I disagree with the second one. But I, I constantly challenge people on this second conviction that they believe we should not compromise on. I'm not going to compromise on it. I'm going to throw it completely out because I don't believe it belongs on any list because I believe it's false, fraudulent, and damaging to anyone's spiritual life if they have at least a a measure of honesty and self-awareness. But some of you already know where I'm going to go, but let's, let's go through this. So here's the article. It was written by, uh, was published on May the 24th, 2022. I have uh, no idea why I just, it's one of those things. I just, sometimes I come across things and I'm, and I don't know why or why I'm so late on finding it probably because I'm always looking at a million different things, but here it is. Nine convictions believers must not compromise on. I'm not going to turn this into a series. We're not going to go through all nine. You can find it at crosswalk.com if you want to read it. I'm worried. I'm just focusing on the first two. And I believe the first two in many ways are contradictory. You'll see in just a minute. So here we go. All right. Uh, I'm just going to begin right here. Here we go. We can argue and debate about much. All right. So they're basically saying, and a lot of Christians have this idea that within the body of Christ, not only, not only would most Christians agree with this, even whether we agree or disagree, we have to just acknowledge the fact that there's going to be lots of arguing and debating in the body of Christ because we've got 2,000 years of church history that verifies that, right? And we've got, well, the reality around us. Christians argue and debate about everything, which is maddening to me, but that's okay. But it says, but there are some issues that the believer cannot compromise on. I want you to stop right here. Logically, this would infer that these nine convictions, every Christian must not, must not only believe them, there can be no deviating or compromising about them. So if this is true, then there should be complete agreement about all nine. But is there? <laughs> and if there isn't agreement, then would the author of this article, whether he doesn't explicitly saying, is he implying in some way, shape, or form, anyone who compromises on one of these, does their salvation get called into question? Like that, I don't know. We'll see how, if they say this. They go this, a spiritually healthy believer must have convictions on the big ticket items central to our faith. All right, so they may not say you're not saved, but they're going to definitely say you're not spiritually healthy. If you're going to be spiritually healthy, you must have convictions on what they call, and I quote, big ticket items. The big ticket items. So we have the big ticket items, and then we have the small ticket items. Small ticket items, we don't have to have agreement, and we don't have to have strong convictions about. Big ticket, boom, we've got to have that conviction, and there can be no compromise. Now, again, I always find it funny. Who gets to, who gets to make the list? Who gets to make, do you get to make the list? Does your denomination get to make the list? Does your church get to make the list? Does your list? Does your fellowship get to make the list? Who gets to make the list? Here we go. 
These are our beliefs from which we are not going to budge, irrespective of the backlash or worldly repercussions. We have doubted our political allegiance, career choice, or religious denomination at some point in our lives. None of those choices, however, are germane to our identity in Christ. We still have our salvation if we place faith in Jesus Christ, whether we worship on Saturday or Sunday, sprinkle or submerge, or sing hymns or contemporary songs. Now, I would stop right there. Now, that's making a lot of... Sometimes what I get worried about is when people say, see, those aren't, those aren't big issues. Those, those are okay. They, they, don't, they don't have an impact. But they, they do in some ways, Right? Because this comes down to major hermeneutical issues. Hey, we need to worship on a Saturday. No, we need to worship on a Sunday. That goes to major hermeneutical issues and how we interpret the, the term Sabbath and how we understand its applications of, for the New Testament period. Like that goes into, and then baptism, sprinkle or submerge. Now, you do realize some people sprinkle because they sprinkle babies, and you do realize some would claim that 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 it regenerates or washes away original sin, that it has some impact on salvation or it it produces salvation. It brings about salvation, that it's a sacrament that, that imparts grace and brings that child into the family of God. But listen, even, even if they don't believe it's a part of salvation, it just places the covenant sign. You do realize this is a major hermeneutical issue because some would be like, well, wait a minute. I can read the Bible and I don't know if I can find an an example of that, right? I know some households were baptized, but then you have to draw a lot of implications there that could be problematic. But um, I mean, don't, don't, don't those have serious implications? All right. They go on to say, Christ is our stronghold and the foundation for our convictions. He is our savior, our identity, our redeemer, our righteousness, our cause. He is also the source of our convictions. I agree. We cannot allow the world's belief or engagement in sinful behaviors to cause us to compromise uh, what thus saith the Lord. Now, again, some would say thus saith the Lord would apply to how we baptize, okay? Some would say thus saith the Lord would apply to worshiping on a Saturday or a Sunday. I, I, I think there would be some possible discussions there. It says, um, so we, um, engagement in sinful behaviors or the world's beliefs cannot cause us to compromise what thus saith the Lord. Worldly views change over time and society is often confounded by cultural expectations. Sin materializes and is rooted in confusion and experimentation. James 3.16 warns us that envying and strife is uh, where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. The author of confusion is Satan, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14.33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. We attempt to remedy confusion by treating our bodies and mind to pleasure and flesh uh, satisfaction, which results, uh, results from the confusion and experimentation. In a similar way, confusion is a primary symptom of a lack of conviction. The world loves a believer with I have an opinion but can't but but can be persuaded mentality. Much of the confusion and doubt arises from a lack of conviction. So they're arguing that the problem in the church is a lack of conviction. Why there's so much confusion is because there's a lack of conviction. I I don't know. You could argue there's a lot of conviction. 
There's just no agreement on the convictions, all right? But but I, I don't want to, we could get sidetracked and pursue all of those. I want to get to the first two convictions they're going to list. According to the article, here are nine convictions we must not change our minds on. So here are nine that you cannot budge, you cannot compromise. I just want to look at the two, the two. Here we go. Here's the first one. And this is the one I'm going to say amen to. Salvation is only through faith in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I, I, I agree with that. that. That sounds good. Let's see what they have to say in regards to it. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul wrote, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The only aspect the sinner brings to the act of salvation is his or her sins from which to be cleansed. Accordingly, the only righteousness attributable to us is that from Jesus Christ. In other words, the only righteousness that can be attributed to us is that from Jesus Christ. I, now, this is very important. Now, I don't know if they're going to use the word, but the only righteousness that can be attributed to me is, listen to the word, imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. Now, the minute we establish this theological concept, this is very important when, as we move to the second conviction they're going to point out. If the only righteousness that can be attributed to me is the righteousness, as they put it, um, is that from Jesus Christ. Now, they don't, they don't use the word imputed, but this is important. Imputed righteousness means it's attributed to me. It's, it's accredited to my account. But this is very, very important distinction. It doesn't make me righteous in practice. It declares me to be righteous positionally. So I stand before God perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly obedient, perfectly forgiven. It's everything in my position, but it doesn't have a transformative work in me. It just transforms my, my identity in Christ. It transforms my position, my practice. I still have a sinful nature. I'm still a sinner. Now, this is very important because so many times within the Protestant world, we teach that we're saved by an imputed righteousness. And then five seconds later, we almost describe salvation in the terms of an infused righteousness. So are we saved by an imputed righteousness or an infused? If we go with the infused idea, we're returning back to Rome. It's imputed, not infused. This is very, very, very important. I am declared to be righteous because of a righteousness that's not my own, that's simply accredited to my account. Inside of me, the same sinner, the same depravity is still very much present. And my life will constantly show that show the evidence of that depravity in thought, word, and deed by what I do and what I leave undone. This is a basic, very important understanding of salvation. So they, they at least have the idea that the only righteousness attributed to me is that from Jesus Christ. Now they go on to say, it is clear from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, that the, un, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Unconverted and unwashed fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Yes, 
We, none of those will inherit the kingdom of God unless they have been given a righteousness, which then makes them perfect and not guilty of any of those things. Because in my position, I'm not guilty of one of those things. In my position, I am completely, all my sins are forgiven and I'm declared perfectly obedient and righteous because Christ wasn't any of those things. Christ was not a fornicator, an idolater, an adulterer, effeminate, a homosexual, a thief, a covetous, drunkard, reviler, swindler. He was none of those things. And his righteousness is imputed to my account. So in my position, I'm not any of those things. Right? That's just very important to understand. Before we stick out our chest proclaiming our innocence, For one particular sin, Paul further wrote, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus is our justification and redemption, sanctifying, cleansing, and our righteousness. We can't be confused about him being our only available source of these for those provisions. Yes, such I was that. I'm not that now because Christ is my righteousness, my justification. He's all of those things. Think of it this way. In salvation, I'm united to Christ. I die, and now it's Christ who lives, and I'm in him. So I was an adulterer, fornicator. But now in Christ, I'm not any of those things. Even if I was to commit one of those sins 50 times, I'm still not that thing because in my position, I've been given a perfect righteousness. And what a lot of people want to do is like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Wait, wait a minute. I'm still a sinner. See, I, I wasn't, I didn't get an infused righteousness. I, I was given an imputed righteousness. There seems to be so much confusion, even in the Protestant world on this today. All right? Um, We can't be confused about him being our only available source for these provisions. Paul addressed the confusion and debate of early believers concerning the eating of meat and the esteeming of one day over another. He, He simplified and eased their contentions by explaining in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Salvation is an issue of the kingdom and we shall not be swayed. Yeah, now they don't use the word imputed versus infused. They don't even explain that, but it's clearly being implied there. So I got nothing but, in fact, I'll do this. This is what, when I read that, I want to do this. Yes, I, I want to cheer. It's awesome. Great. Yes. I, and, I, and I just want, and I want to add those words, imputed and infused. I've been saved by an imputed righteousness. Please note, that is a righteousness that's just accredited to my account. It, that's not a righteousness in me. That's not a righteousness about my, what, my practice. My, I may still be, a, I still may sin. I may still have lust, a, 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 idolatry, covetousness, all, all kinds. I may commit actual sins in the flesh, fornication, adultery, whatever they may be. Now, there's no excuse for that, and that must be condemned. No one's making an excuse, but that doesn't change what I am in my position in Christ is I'm, I'm, I'm not that. I am in Christ, and therefore I'm declared perfectly righteous and holy. Now, we don't deny the reality of that sin, 
It's not like, well, because I'm in Christ, I just can do whatever I want. No, 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 that's not the mentality. The point is that we have to understand the imputed righteousness doesn't change our makeup because we are still sinners. This is very, very important. So at this point, I'm like, man, that's a conviction that I don't think we can sway. I don't, we, we can, we can uh, compromise. We should not be swayed on. We have to stand our ground. Amen. I mean, that's the whole Protestant Reformation right there being discussed. That's what separates us from Roman Catholicism. I get so tired when people want to reduce the, the issues between the, the non-Catholic and the Catholic world to something about liturgy or Mary or robes or incense, the Apocrypha, the Pope, magisterial authority. Now, all of those issues are significant, but the real issue is, are we justified by an imputed righteousness or by an infused righteousness? That's the, that's the heart of the difference right there because it goes to the issue of justification. And justification is the doctrine the church stands or falls. And, and I'm paraphrasing Luther, but it's, it's, and it's, it's essential. So everything sounds good at this point in the article, right? Then we come to number two. Now, remember, the article is going to give nine convictions. We're not going to look at all of them. I just want you to see number one and number two compared to one another. So, so number one sounds good, right? And then all of a sudden, number two, we read these words. The presence of Christ will make a change in the life of the believer. Now, here we go. This is such, this is so burned into the brain of the evangelical world. It goes, yes, you're saved by faith alone. Yes, you're saved by an imputed righteousness. However, that will transform you. However, that will change you. You will not be what you were. You will be transformed. You will be changed. You'll be radically different. We won't even look like the world. We won't look like the world. We won't talk like the world. We won't, we, we, we'll be so different from the world that everyone will know. Now, we've been preaching that for basically 2,000 years, and 2,000 years of church history shows time and time again, not only is the church very much like the world, sometimes we're worse than the world. And Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, which had every kind of sin you could think of, he kept referring to them as believers, seemingly to indicate that even believers can engage in some absolutely horrific and ungodly behavior. Now, it has to be dealt with, has to be challenged, has to be confronted, but somehow Christians are like, nope, can't, can't be that way, can't be that way. We sell something. Let's see what they're getting ready to sell. Here we go. There will be, now remember, this is a conviction that we're absolutely cannot compromise on, according to this article, right? That there can be no, no backing down. There will be a visible manifestation of change in the life of a believer when Jesus Christ takes residence within. A profession and a belief in Jesus do not bring about this heart change. Believing in the existence of God does not indwell me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Church membership and accompanying titles do not give me the spiritual, uh, the, the spiritual ar armaments listed in Ephesians 6. Water baptism and partaking of the Lord's Supper are not means 
for the remission of sins. At least there they, 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 they reduce baptism or they make baptism an ordinance, not a sacrament. This transformation is the new birth. So, all right, so we're saved by an imputed righteousness, but they say we're, we're going to have a new birth and this is going to lead to an utter and complete transformation. This is, this is the brochure. This is how Christianity is sold in the modern evangelical world. And then you know where they're going to go. You know where they're going to go. They're going to go to the go-to verse that's on all of the all the marketing campaigns. Are you ready? Okay, there you are. Now, you, I know you're not, you, if you become a believer, let me tell you, your life is going to be so transformed. You're going to be changed. Everything's going to be different. Because when you become a believer, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Wow. Everyone goes to that verse. And I think it's a complete and utter misinterpretation of that verse. I think that in the context there, it's referring to how we are to see someone who makes a profession, someone who makes a believer. We are to treat them, see them as a new creature. We see them in light of their positional identity in Christ, not the practical reality of them. We see them as a new creature because in their position, they are a new creature. The old is completely gone in their position. We That is not true of them in practice. And how do I know? The only way for that verse to be true, if referring to our practice, your old nature would have to be eradicated. The depravity would have to be removed, and that doesn't happen because it says if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone. Well, if the old is gone, that means there's no more sinful nature. There's no more depravity. And if there's no more sinful nature and there's no more depravity in you, then sinless perfection not only would be possible, it would be probable. In fact, it would be the thing you would expect. Hey, that church down the street, everyone in that church who's a believer, they no longer have a sinful nature. It's completely gone. We would be the most loving, the most godly, the most honest. We would be the greatest people on earth. But time and time again, what do we see in the church? Sin, failure, sin, failure. And sometimes Christians don't even know how to process it because we have this weird theology that seems to just make us expect everyone's going to be perfect or everyone has to pretend to be something that they're not. You've got to pretend that the old nature is gone and it's not true. I am to perceive you that way. I am to see, if you profess to be a Christian, I am to see your identity in Christ. I'm to see the truth of your position. That doesn't mean I ignore your practice, it just means I see your the spiritual position. And, and I've constantly said the Christian life is the impossible, never-ending task of trying to live out in practice what is true in position. But they go on to say, um, so you're a new creature, the old, the old is gone. And then they said, this change or dying of the old man is manifested by a change from a corrupt, corrupt conduct according to deceitful lust. So the, so the old man dies, so now this is going to be seen by, well, everything being perfect, all right? Uh, we do not have, now listen, we do not have the capabilities to make these changes within our own power. Our conviction in the power of Jesus is grounded by our remembrance of the many attempts and failures of self-help and self-improvement. So, hey, this, we're not, this change doesn't happen by what we do. 
This is, and I want you to understand that this is not even then, it's not about your effort. It's not about your discipline. This is just supposed to magically happen. Just magically. You, you're, you put your faith in Christ. It's real. Boom. The old man is gone. The old man is dead. The new man is there. The old is gone. You're a new creation. That is how it's taught. Yeah. And then guess what happens? You're like, man, I'm a new creature. The old is gone. The old man is dead. Yeah. Then you find yourself, wait a minute. I was just rude. Or wait a minute, I just lied. Or man, I was just filled with lust. Or wait a minute, I just did this. Or wait, I just did. Oh, I can't believe what I just did. And, oh man, how did I find myself here? And oh my goodness, what have I done? And wait, I can't believe how unloving I was. And man, I don't seem to really love God the way I'm supposed to. And and then you and then all of a sudden you're sorry. You know what? Christianity doesn't work. Christianity is broken. Christianity is a failure. And then you find yourself deconstructing. Now, this is a conviction you're not supposed to compromise on. Now, what's so bizarre is the first one says we are saved by an imputed, well, they didn't use the word, but it's implied, an imputed righteousness. I still don't understand how people think the imputed righteousness is somehow proved by a practical righteousness. The imputed righteousness is there has nothing to do with the practical righteousness. It's imputed. Now, if you believe that you're saved by an infused righteousness, that you have every right to believe that. Just tom- tomorrow, go find a Roman Catholic church and start attending mass and then present yourself to possibly now enter the, the Catholic church and convert to Catholicism. Go through the process and maybe by next uh, Easter, you can be baptized. And brought into the church, or if you've already been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that will just bring you into the church. You go through the confirmation process. Go through the adult development uh, program so that you can enter into the church. Because basically, you're just you're just trying to have a Protestant version of Roman Catholicism. And I say that as someone who attended a Roman Catholic university to work on a degree on Catholic theology. It's just we we so desperately want to believe that there's some power that we have. And again, they always say it's not it's not by your work. It's not by your effort. This is just supposed to happen. Like, okay, I'm a believer. Dun, 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 dun. The old is gone. Okay, well, the old is gone. The old is gone. All right, so that's the that's the old nature. Okay, I, I'm a new, I'm a new man. The old man died. So the old man is dead. I'm a new man. The old nature is gone. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation. Boom. Well, then why is the church a total train wreck? So this, you know what this leads some people. Some people are going to hear this and they're going to sit there in their self-righteousness and go, well, because they're not believers. But, but, but you are. So, so basically you're like, I thank God I'm not like any of those people. I'm different. I'm changed. I'm transformed. And anyone who's not reached the same level of transformation as I am, they're not saved. That's what it leads to, a a pharisaical self-righteousness where we can't even see, because we can't be honest about ourselves. When you have this view that when you became a Christian, boom, the old is gone, everything is new, the, the old man died, and now you have the power of God in you so that you can obey and keep the word of God. When you believe that, 
You have to constantly live in self-deception that you're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're, and sometimes you just push down or you, or you start claiming that the things you're doing are not sins. They're mistakes. The, they're not really sins. You just make some mistakes. You have to start living a fantasy land, a world. You have to start living in some fantasy game. You become a, it's like a role-playing game. You're pretending to be something you're not. Well, that's, that's of no value. And why didn't Paul just look at the Corinthians and say, hey, guys, you're not believers. Believers don't live like this. Believers don't live like this. This church is a total train wreck. None of you are believers. No, he doesn't say that. In fact, what does he say? I'll just read the words himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, he keeps calling them brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, or, or brethren, right? But here we go. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you're still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, uh, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? There, there he has. And I'll, I'll read it from the King James, which you probably may be more familiar. That's the, the translation I typically use. I just had that Bible sitting there. First, 1 Corinthians 3, to me, it's even more emphatic. I like the way the, the King James translates it. And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you, even uh, unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal. He's like, you're, you may be believers, but you're carnal. You're ungodly. You're fleshly. You're worldly. And it, but he refers to them as babes in Christ. So you can be a believer and be carnal and be worldly because you're saved by an imputed righteousness. But they're like, no, 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 no. But they're new creatures. The old is gone. Yes, and my position is 100% true. But I'm dead in my position. The old man is dead. In practice, it's still there. That's why Paul says, with my mind, I serve the law of God. But with my flesh, I serve. In fact, let me read it. I don't want to paraphrase it too bad. He, he says, uh, uh, I'm in 1 Corinthians. It's in Romans. Going to the wrong book here. Romans chapter 7. I don't want to misquote it. He says, uh, so then with my mind, I serve the law of God. I think I said the law of sin. I don't know why I said that. Serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. With the mind, I'm serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Paul even acknowledges the problem. And that's why he says the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. That's the reality of our practice. Our practice is a never-ending struggle with sin. Our, pra our practice is going to be failure, 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 failure. And remember, if we violate one point of the law, we're guilty of all of it. We live in a perpetual state of sin and disobedience and spiritual failure. And to say anything other than that, you're a liar. I'll give you an example. Be ye holy as he is holy. You've never done that. Never going to do that. Never will going to do that. You're going to live the rest of your Christian life in perpetual disobedience to that. Love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You're never going to do that. You're going to live yourself in a perpetual state of disobedience. Those standards are to constantly remind you of your need for an imputed righteousness 
Because you're never going to have the righteousness God demands. And if you, but if you tell yourself, no, 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 no. When I was saved, boom, the old is gone. Everything is new. I have the power of God. I can keep the commandments. Well, then you should be able to be perfect. And you're never going to be. Now, it doesn't excuse it. I'm by no means excusing sin. It's still got to be confronted. It still has to be dealt with. That's why there's God. That's why there's chastisement for the believer from God. That's why there can be church discipline. That's why there's got to be rebuke. That's why there has to be correction. We constantly need it. We're constantly struggling and fighting with it. But the church constantly teaches this kind of thing that, hey, you've got the power. You can do it. You can do it. And I know this is a theme of teaching that comes up constantly here on this podcast, but it's just, I'm bombarded with that message everywhere I look. I listen to a sermon, boom, you've got power. You can do it. You can follow God. You can, you can obey it. You can do it. And it's like, yeah. And then you find out six weeks later that half the people in that church have been found guilty of this or this or that. I mean, look at the Southern Baptist Convention and the horrible report that just came out about sexual abuse within the convention. But I, 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 I was, I look, I've known Christians and me myself convinced myself that, oh man, I, I've, I've got this down. I can do this. I'm doing this. I'm a new creature. I'm not like I was. I'm not like these other people. But I had to, I had to pretend and, and ignore what was really going on inside of me. And again, remember, the, the, their teaching is that this just happens, right? Like you don't, it's not about your effort. It just magically happens because of God's power in you. But then what's, what's weird is in many cases, Christians who believe what they just said, the second conviction, will sometimes throw in a third conviction and say, however, you can't be perfect. I, I just had to point it out because the article, again, got published on May the 24th. So it's a new thing. And I know I've talked about it hundreds of time, times, but I, I, no matter how many times I talk about it, I turn around and there's another article or another teaching making the same claims. And it's just so weird that this would get pu- published right when we have, in fact, if I go back to crosswalk.com. So there's the article, right? So there's the article. And then if I go right over here, um, okay, so right after, I, uh, right after I read that article, if I go back to the homepage, right there in today's top stories, woman accuses Pastor John Lowe's son of molesting her as a child. Just right there, immediately, I see these horrible news stories of things going on here, uh, Southern uh, right. So, if you click on the link to their news articles, Southern Baptist Convention releases secret list of pastors, church leaders accused of sexual abuse and misconduct. Right, we're just right there. All right. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. Um, okay, what else here? Yeah. Okay. And there's there's probably there's probably more here, um, uh, just of horrible things happening in in the church. And I mean, I can just find all kinds of articles that just talk about how bad things are. And it's just like, don't you see the disconnect? If you're telling everyone, no, you're a new creature. You you, I mean, the old is gone. 
Okay, well, then you've got to convince yourself, I'm a new creature. The old is gone. The old is gone. So whenever there's, there's cracks in that facade, whenever the fig leaves start falling off and exposing you, you just cover up. You grab some more fig leaves and you continue to cover up. You get a new mask. You, pay, you get a new paint job and you keep just convincing yourself, yeah, we're godly. We're godly. And then you spend all of your time pointing out how ungodly everyone else is. You start running around yelling, yelling about them and them and look at them and the world, the world. And you can you point the finger and point the finger because you don't want anyone to really get close enough to you to realize you're not the new creature that you want everyone to think you are in practice. Now, in position, your position is completely secure because of the imputed righteousness. But the old man is still there. The old nature is still there didn't become new. And we, we, we so, I think we almost psychologically damage believers from having an actual correct view of themselves. We should have the most honest view of ourselves. We're messed up sinners. Now, I know some take that and just say, we can do whatever we want. We're saved by an imputed righteousness. That's abusing the grace of God. We should never abuse it, but we should never misuse it that we create a scenario where we have to pretend to be something we're not. There we go. Now, we've talked about this so many times. I feel bad for taking time to talk about it again, but it was, I mean, it was, it's right there slapping me in the face. I couldn't just ignore it. Can I? Can I? I know you're saying, well, yeah, you could. I guess technically I could, but there we go. And I'll just just show you if I just go to let me go to just I just go to one other site. Okay, yeah, here we go. Uh, more former members allege pattern of abuse and cover up at Indiana Church. More former members of New Life Christian Church and World Outreach have come forward alleging a pattern of abuse and cover up at the non denominational Indiana Church. Uh, It's Pastor John B. Lowe II resigned Monday after a woman said he groomed her and sexually abused her starting when she was 16, right? So then this, all kinds of other horrible things happen here. Uh, Josh Duggar sentenced to more than 12 years for child porn. Former reality TV star and Christian activist Josh Duggar was sentenced Wednesday to 12 and a half years in federal prison for downloading and possessing child porn. All right. AMC Church alleges former retirement services exec embezzled tens of millions of dollars. Okay. Uh, J.D. Hall, pastor and founder of Pulpit and Pen, admits fabricating story about trans activists. I mean, I can just go, I, uh, I can just go over. I mean, the stories here are just absolutely crazy on just just one all these horrible and this is all stuff going on inside the church now there's no excuse for it but how are we ever going to deal with these stories if we have a theology that says it can't be it can't and that's what christians immediately when it happens we're like well can't be christians can't be christians can't be christians um i i saw someone had posted something in regards to the sbc report and basically saying people who do this can't be saved And I said, well, or is it possible that even those of us who are saved can do horrible, evil things because our salvation is based off an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness? And they immediately was like, nope, 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 nope. I'm just like, man. 
I, we can do horrible things. If we don't have a theology that can embrace that, then all we just do is we just as soon as someone crosses too, too much of a line, we're just like, you're not saved. 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 Like we, we somehow have the magical ability to throw people out of, king, out of the kingdom of God. And guess what we're judging their salvation on? Not their faith, on their practical righteousness, which seems to imply that we believe they're saved by an infused righteousness. And the lack of, of practical righteousness demonstrates that they never received the infused righteousness. Because if you were infused with a righteousness, it should manifest itself. But even in the Catholic system that believes you're infused with righteousness— even they have a system that has to explain away, well, you may be infused with it and you may be in a state of grace, but you committed a mortal sin, so now you're no longer in a state of grace and you have to get back into a state of grace. Even they have a system to somehow try to explain away the ungodliness. But if you believe in imputed righteousness, my, my practical failure has nothing to do with my imputed righteousness because I receive that righteousness by faith. It is a gift of God, not of myself. Therefore, I cannot boast. But if it has something to do with my practical righteousness, then guess what? I can boast. All right, I'll stop there. We're going to try to do one, one other thing before the night is over. So we'll stop right there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And uh, we'll be back here shortly. All right, God bless.